Hello, and welcome to a very spooky episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas, and I am afraid of trees. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot to love about trees, as I've extensively presented throughout the last 60 episodes. There's so much fascinating and unique biology that has encouraged diverse human cultures to incorporate trees and forests into positive aspects of tradition and symbolism. But throughout human history, we have also viewed the forest as a place of darkness and evil. It is a wild place, home to predators like wolves and bears, but also more sinister forces like demons, witches, and fae. And in some cases, it's the trees themselves that you should be afraid of. Today, in honor of this upcoming Halloween, I'll be exploring the deadliest trees, the history of why we fear the wild woods, and the most haunted forests in our world today. This episode comes with a content warning for self-harm and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. But come... Take another walk with me through the forest. This time, though, the night is getting darker, and our lantern doesn't have much fuel left. much as you may love trees, sometimes you have to be careful about what you hug. With certain woody plants, you can tell that touching them would be a mistake right away because they will stab you with thorns and spines. One may not even see it coming if the spines are small and discreet, like on the black locust and the Osage orange trees. But one tree, known as the honey locust, makes it clear from afar that it is not your friend and does not want to be touched. Native to North America, this tree can be found growing between the Great Plains and the Appalachian Mountains, and from the Great Lakes down to the Gulf of Mexico. The honey locust covers itself in dense bushels of sharp, three-pronged protrusions that insist you stay clear of its personal space, or pay the bloody consequences. Sometimes a tree itself can be harmless, but is completely wrapped in poisonous vines, like poison ivy poison oak, and poison sumac. These woody tendrils are known for giving awful rashes to any who make the mistake of touching them, or even closing up your throat if you are so foolish enough to burn their wood and breathe the smoke. Never forget the old rhymes that keep you safe. Leaves of three, leave it be. Berries white should give you a fright. I once read something online about why plants like these have to be so mean. And the main thing to recognize is that these adaptations are defense mechanisms. The plant is simply protecting itself. But some trees, in an effort to protect themselves, take things a little too far. One tree species is known for causing more human deaths than all the sharks in the world, the Othalonga, or suicide tree. Known scientifically as Cerbera odolum, this is a tropical evergreen tree native to South Asia and especially prevalent in India. 
the deadliest aspect of this tree is the black seed of its fruit, which contains a high concentration of a compound called cerberin. Cerberin is known to completely shut down heart functions, as well as induce serious nausea and vomiting. Ingesting the black seed of the Othalonga fruit is an incredibly common method of suicide in the country of India. Between 1989 and 1999, there were over 500 deaths considered to be caused by cerberin poisoning in just a single state within the country. Adding up the collective worldwide deaths caused by this tree has led this to be the deadliest plant in the world. And it's not just used for suicide, it's used for murder as well. The seed itself has a rather noticeable bitter flavor, but by covering it up with strong spices that are common in Indian cuisine, it can easily be ingested without detection by the consumer. It makes for such good poison because cerberin is difficult to identify in most toxicology analyses. A specific test is required to figure out if that compound played a role in the death. And because it is understood to so easily be used unnoticed, some scientists believe that there could be as many as twice the number of deaths caused by it than are officially reported. Typically, fruits and seeds are structures that exist to encourage animals to carry a plant's offspring away to a new home. So why is this one so aggressive? One theory is that it is because the so-called suicide tree is a species of mangrove. It lives in tidal areas and would apparently prefer to reproduce using hydrocory, that is, letting the water carry the next generation away. Animals need not apply. This tree will take care of itself, or else. But while the Othalonga's harmful nature is a rather passive force, there are other trees that are a bit more aggressive. There is a tree that can be found in the Amazon rainforest in South America, known scientifically as Hura crepitans. One of its many common names is the sandbox tree. This is one of those trees that you can tell is dangerous from afar as its trunk is covered in numerous sharp spines. It is these spines that also give it a name, Monkey No Climb. The sap of the sandbox tree is highly toxic. It has historically been used by native tribes to poison the ends of their arrows and darts. And this sap sees continued use in the modern day, as its chemicals were used to develop the tear gas that police forces use in the United States. But perhaps the deadliest part of this tree is again in the seeds, though in a way that you won't see coming. The fruit of the sandbox tree is a small, papery, pumpkin-shaped capsule. When these fruits are ripe, they spread their seeds by exploding. With a loud bang, the seeds are launched in all directions at a velocity reaching an upwards of 150 miles per hour. This explosion gives the tree yet another name, the dynamite tree. If anyone finds themselves unlucky enough to be within 100 feet of one of these trees, when one of its bombs goes off, they'll find themselves peppered with shrapnel. And I just have to say that nothing else in this episode is quite possibly as Halloween-y as a tree that reproduces by shooting a pumpkin gun. But despite the death toll of the Othalonga and the weaponized destruction wrought by the sandbox tree, 
This final tree causes such agony to those who cross it that it has earned its place in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's deadliest tree. It is known scientifically as Hippomane Mancinella, or commonly as the Beach Apple, the Manchineal, or Manzanilla de la Muerte, the Little Apple of Death. The Manchineal, a member of the same plant family as the Sandbox Tree, can be found in Florida, throughout the Caribbean Sea, and in parts of Central and South America. As indicated by its names, the fruit looks like a little apple that can be found scattered on beaches after they fall from the tree. These fruits actually smell sweet, and were you to take a bite, it would initially taste like an apple. But not long after that first bite, the sweet taste is replaced by a sharp peppery flavor that turns into a searing, clawing pain that tears at and closes your throat. For some, a single bite can be fatal. Even if you survive, the pain is said to be so severe that you will wish you didn't. And this tree doesn't stop its assault there. Every part of this plant can be lethal. The sap of the manchineal, like its cousin the sandbox, is highly toxic and has been used by local tribes to make poison-tipped arrows and darts. It is theorized that it was this poison that killed Spanish explorer Juan Ponce de Leon in a battle with natives. And this tree doesn't just keep its poison to itself. It actively secretes its sap. You, of course, wouldn't want to touch the tree, but even standing underneath it can be dangerous. When it rains, the water droplets that roll off the tree take that poison sap with it and can then drip down and induce burning blisters on anyone unlucky enough to be nearby. Raindrops? More like pain drops. <laughs> the wood is so saturated with this poison that if it is burned, the smoke can cause blindness for anyone in the area. Wherever the tree is native, locals have sought them out for the express purpose of marking them with paint so that anyone can tell that these trees are not to be approached, touched, eaten, or cut. But for all the damage it causes, a tropical species of iguana seems to be unaffected by the toxins and happily lives and feeds off of the world's deadliest tree. There is a very real reason to fear some forests, for the dangerous trees themselves. But the forest is also considered to be a common home for witches, ghouls, and other lost souls. Things of the more supernatural variety. To understand why, we must look back to when we as humans first left the woods behind. humans have a rather complicated relationship with the wild woods. Modern society is trending towards recognizing that we are inherently connected to the natural landscape. Yet, in the same pieces of legislation that work to help nourish our wild areas, we have defined them as being places where humans do not belong. Visiting these wild places can bring peace and help us feel more grounded but what if we lose the trail, and the way back home seems unclear? What if you are alone, and the sun starts going down, and you're not certain what made that noise you're pretty sure you just heard? 
despite its beauty, there are reasons to fear the forest. The official phobia of the forest is called either xylophobia or hylophobia, with the specific fear of the forest at night being called nyctohylophobia. These fears are often connected with a fear of the dark or a fear of the unknown. These fears come from our earliest days as humans, when we as a species gathered in increasing numbers and separated ourselves from quote-unquote wilderness. We created this divide, separating human tribes, communities, or societies from places like the forest in order to keep ourselves safe. The forest was home to predators, and by encouraging this distance, we would not be preyed upon. This fear was healthy, and it helped us survive. But in order to ensure that this healthy fear was properly instilled throughout the community, we came up with stories that expanded upon the dangers of the wild and told them to children so that we would grow up with a thorough understanding of how to avoid becoming some animal's dinner. Stories like Grimm's fairy tales. Most of the Western world is familiar with the tales of Little Red Riding Hood and Hansel and Gretel. There are many stories like them that focus on children going into the woods only to be met by treacherous wolves that wish to eat the children or by treacherous witches that also wish to eat the children. These days, those stories are softened quite a bit so as to retain the original lesson, but not scare the young audience so much. The original versions of the Brothers Grimm stories, however, were much darker. Their purpose was to make you afraid. That fear kept you away from the woods and away from danger. These stories often take place in, or are at least based off of, real forests, like the Reinhardswald or the Black Forest, both in Germany. These forests are never really as dark and terrifying as their names may suggest. They really seem to be quite beautiful places. But names like Black Forest don't come from the supposed darkness of these places, rather because of their wildness and distinctness from the world of humans. The term is used to juxtapose against what are known as green forests, these being spaces of human-cultivated life and beauty, like a park or a managed forest. Establishing what is inhuman and keeping it separate from what is human aids in our survival. It is curious, though, how a fear of the unknown is something strongly associated with the fear of forests. Even if we don't know what types of predators live in a given specific forest, we know that interactions with wild animals can result in injury or death. But despite our awareness of creatures such as wolves, bears, or mountain lions, we seem to have a fascination with imagining what unknown creatures hide in these wild woods. There are many legends of wild creatures that are not considered real by the scientific community. In the modern day, we collectively refer to them as cryptids. One cryptid, for example, is said to haunt the forests of southern New Jersey, known as the Jersey Devil. According to legend, there was a New Jersey woman in the 1700s named Mrs. Leeds who had 12 children. But she became pregnant with a 13th child, and because the number 13 is considered unlucky, it was expected that this child was cursed. Sure enough, Mrs. Leeds' 13th child was born a baby demon, and upon being born, 
It unfurled its baby demon wings and flew out the window and into the nearby Pine Barrens. The Pine Barrens of southern New Jersey are an incredibly unique forest ecosystem. The name Barrens comes from the fact that the acidic, sandy soil in this region could not support the crops that early colonial Americans wished to grow there. Because the area was not good for agriculture, very few people settled in that area. And because it was not settled early on, it never grew to become a population center as part of the overall densely populated Mid-Atlantic region. Again, we see that divide of a place wild and separate from the sphere of human influence. And because of that, legends of mysterious forest dangers like the Jersey Devil persist. It is said to have the body of a kangaroo, the head of a dog, but the face of a horse, as well as bat wings, horns, and a tail. As ridiculous as this creature may sound, at least 50 towns in southern New Jersey have seemingly felt the effects of its presence. Its demonic influence is blamed for the disappearance of chickens and destruction of crops. People from all walks of life have made serious reports of seeing this demon stalk the woods at night. The Jersey Devil is one example of many stories across time and culture that exist to perpetuate the early tribal fear that we may not fully understand what lives outside our human community, but it is likely to be extremely dangerous. The more monstrous and unexplainable, the more afraid we are to put ourselves in any form of danger. Other examples of cryptids in the United States include Bigfoot and the Wendigo, both cases being stories in modern American culture, as well as in the stories of indigenous peoples. In Mexico, there is the Chupacabra, and in Europe, there are various stories of creatures that are part beast, part human, like goatmen. And among a tribe of people native to the Democratic Republic of Congo, there are creatures known as Boloko. According to the Mongo people, Inoloko is said to be the spirit of a deceased ancestor who was wronged and cannot rest. They live in the hollow trees in the deepest part of the forest and protect the animals and fruit that grow there. Interesting how these forest stories still carry protection symbolism, but this time, the forest is protecting itself from us. Inoloko can make a number of sounds to lure your curiosity like small bell chimes or the voice of a lost child who needs help. But if you explore the dark passages of the forest to find the sources of these sounds, you'll never be seen again. It is curious how many stories present what lurks in the forest to be ghosts, undead souls that once belonged to living humans. Perhaps the spirit detaching from the human body thus separates it from any connection to the world of humans, and therefore, a continued existence in the physical world leaves them to be tied to inhuman places, like the wild forest. There is a forest in Japan that has become increasingly more well-known for its association with death and lingering souls, but for very real reasons. On the northwest side of Mount Fuji lies 12 square miles of woodlands known locally as Aokigahara, or the Suicide Forest. Over the last several decades, this forest has become an increasingly popular destination for someone to end their own life. In order to try and reduce its growing fame, Japan no longer releases the count of how many bodies are collected from there annually. But the dark culture tied to this forest 
actually predates its more modern association with suicide. Earlier in Japan's history, during times of great famine, misfortune, and uncertainty, people would bring their family members who were starving and close to death to this forest to spend their final days. Between this piece of history and its modern reputation, Aokigahara is said to be filled with the tormented souls of the many people who have died there. But the question remains, why here? Around 1100 years ago, Mount Fuji erupted, and a lava field around 12 square miles in size formed on its northwest side. The rich nutrients in this volcanic material were able to support the growth of a new, thick forest. It is this lava rock that makes this forest so different. The porous texture of the rocks effectively absorb sound, making this place eerily quiet. And the presence of iron has historically prevented people from reliably navigating these woodlands with a compass or even GPS. And with the forest relatively consistent composition over a large area, this makes for a very beautiful and peaceful place to get lost. From my experience working in beautiful parks, it is not uncommon for people who wish to end their lives to do so in beautiful, peaceful places. It's not just this one place in Japan. The wild forest is a place where you leave the world of humans. But let it be a place to separate yourself temporarily, not permanently. I feel as if these stories, more so than most of the ones I've told, truly exemplify the diversity and symbolism we attribute to trees and forests. They can represent strength and protection, masculinity and femininity, wisdom and perseverance. But alongside these inspiring human attributes, they can also represent a separation from humanity, as well as fear and death, all coming from the desire to keep us safe both from what lives in the forest, and sometimes from the trees themselves. Halloween, or any other death-themed holiday, exists for us to connect with our fears. The way we come together to face and embrace those fears is an enriching part of our culture. And once again, trees are a part of that enrichment. And for those of you that do not enjoy the spooky season, and found these stories more disturbing rather than interesting, take solace in the fact that such stories only exist in a single episode amidst dozens of others that focus more on hope, love, and connection. And in two weeks, I'll be bouncing back to talk about trees whose fun facts are a lot more palatable. Trees provide us with an incredible number of products that we don't even think about anymore. Come back on November 1st to hear about a medley of elastic trees where we get both natural rubber and chewing gum. I want to thank you all for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by Boomerang Brit on Instagram. 
my script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Scary Hilburn. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees or on Instagram at Tree Podcast. And if you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and think twice before giving it a hug. Thank you.